Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza, and I am sitting here with my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. What's going on, Jacob? It's going well, Dad. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. There's a reason why we're doing this cold open today. We haven't done a cold open in a really, really long time, but we're doing one today, and tell everybody why that is. That's right. So this is episode 104, part one of the Earl of the Pearl Monroe story, and this episode marks two years of Basketball History 101. That's right. So we're finishing our second year, getting ready to go into our third year, and this has been an absolute blast to get into. We've delivered a brand new episode every single week for two years running, along with a handful of bonus episodes. That's right. We just started this kind of as something to do for fun during the height of COVID-19. Two years down the line, it's going to be something much bigger than we ever imagined it would. We've got an award now. We've got a decent audience tuning in every single week to listen to what we have to upload. It's been really fun being able to kind of share this with you guys, share some of what we know about basketball history, and to just talk to you guys about it. Absolutely. Uh, the way we've been able to grow this community, some of the messages that we've received from listeners telling us how much they're learning from the shows. Uh, we've been hearing from kids even. I've got some emails from some kids in New York. I've got emails from kids uh, in other parts of the country as well, just telling me that they really love the basketball history and they're learning so much from it. So it's been a fun ride. That's right. This has been an incredible experience and we are absolutely looking forward to another two years of this with you guys, if not more. Yeah, so thank you for sticking around and listening to the short stories that we have to share. We have just completed two years and we're looking forward now to going into our third year of delivering a new episode each and every week. So thanks again and let's get into Earl the Pearl. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you the story of one of the greatest players with one of the greatest nicknames in NBA history, Earl the Pearl Monroe. He also had another nickname. Black Jesus, but we will get to that in a moment. But I will say this, Earl Monroe was probably the first NBA player with a real streetball reputation to succeed at the highest levels of the NBA. Now this is a two-part story. In today's episode, we will share Earl Monroe's story up to his graduation from Winston-Salem State University. Next week, we will share part two about his NBA career. Earl Monroe is a member of the NBA 75 list as one of the greatest players to ever suit up in the NBA. His creative style and insanely quick spin move made him one of the toughest covers in basketball history. He was a scorer at heart. His job was to put the ball in the basket as many times as he could during a game, and he did it with flair and creativity. In some cases, he was as much of a showman as he was a shooter. His battles with guys like Oscar Robertson, Walt Frazier, Dave Bing, Jerry West, Lenny Wilkins, and Hal Greer were legendary. It seemed that almost every night he had to play defense on a fellow Hall of Famer. It was a great time in the NBA if you were a fan in the 1960s and 1970s. But let me take you to the beginning of the story. 
He was born on November 21, 1944 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His full name is Vernon Earl Monroe Jr. He was born to Rose and Earl Sr. However, his father left him pretty early in his life. He would not develop a relationship with his biological father until he was in college and was making the newspapers as an All-American basketball player with NBA potential. Now, I am sure it was no coincidence that his father re-entered his life just as he was about to begin a career as a professional athlete. The same thing happened to Shaquille O'Neal. His biological father contacted him just as he was about to leave college for the NBA. Anyway, as for Earl Monroe, he was raised by his mother, grandmother, and two aunts. All of these adult women in his life worked a number of different jobs to help make ends meet. His grandmother essentially ran an illegal casino and bar out of their house. On Friday and Saturday nights, their house was the place to be. She would sell food and drinks out of the kitchen and sponsored various gambling games in the living room, and she would get a cut of the winnings. To young Earl Monroe, this all seemed very normal. He was raised in a turbulent neighborhood in South Philadelphia. When he was just five or six years old, he and his friends witnessed an altercation out in front of his house. Two men started fighting when one of them pulled out a knife and stabbed the other one to death, right in front of the kids. Now this was the kind of neighborhood that Earl Monroe grew up in. As I've said before, and it is true of nearly any person who grows up to become a professional athlete, as a kid, Monroe was faster and more athletic than nearly every other boy in his neighborhood. He played soccer and baseball and dominated the other kids in both sports. He also played some basketball and was pretty good at it, but he always felt that baseball was his best sport. Most of his development as a basketball player happened on the playground without any coaching supervision. He was free to develop his game in whatever way he felt worked for him. That self-guided development is what led to his flashy style of play. Because on the playground courts, you have to have some flair to go with your game if you want to make an impact and be remembered. By the time he was 14, he was already at his full height of 6 foot 3 or 191 centimeters. While that was definitely taller than most kids entering their first year of high school, it was not so tall that anyone was thinking about a future in basketball. It was 1959 when Monroe entered high school and the basketball coach noticed him right away and convinced him to come out for the basketball team. He did and was immediately named the team starting center because he was the tallest of all the freshmen. He developed an inside game that took advantage of his quickness and his height. As he developed through his four years of high school, the other boys began to catch up in height and he realized that he had no future being an undersized center. He began to work on his ball handling and outside shooting. If he was going to play basketball beyond high school, then it would have to be out at the perimeter, not in the middle. As a quick side note, Monroe met and got to know Ollie Chamberlain, a younger brother of the great Wilt Chamberlain. Monroe once asked Ollie for a pair of Wilt socks. Wilt was known for wearing these thick hunting socks for NBA games. Monroe was so enamored with those socks and he wanted a pair of them. Ollie said no problem and was able to secure one pair of these hunting socks from Wilt and gave them to Monroe, who wore them for all of his remaining high school games. Anyway, by the final year of high school, he led all of South Philadelphia in scoring and was garnering major attention. However, no serious scholarship offers were presented to him. He was never a great student and he knew it. Now that might be why schools were scared away. So Monroe attended Temple College Preparatory in Philadelphia upon graduating from high school. It is not uncommon for some high school seniors to complete a year at a prep school instead of leaving directly for a university. For those that do not know, Prep school is like playing a fifth year of high school basketball. Typically, the players that play at a prep school do so for only one year 
where it gives them a chance to continue to develop their game and allow their body to mature and also help them raise their grades in order to become eligible for a university scholarship. That is what Earl Monroe did. He played at Temple Prep, which was directly associated with Temple University in Philadelphia. Most thought that with an extra year of development that Monroe would move directly to Temple University, where he could still play four seasons of basketball and do so in front of his friends and family. It was at this point that Monroe realized that his game was not a high-flying game. He was no Elgin Baylor, the NBA's first great leaper. Monroe's game was mostly played on the floor, which is why he had to develop his crossover dribble and spin move. He did not have what it took to jump over other people like Dr. J had. Eventually, he received a scholarship offer from the legendary coach Clarence Big House Gaines at Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina, an all-black school. It meant leaving Philadelphia and playing away from his support system. Now, this was for the 1963-64 season. Now, this is a good place to take a break, and we will be right back with Earl Monroe's college career at Winston-Salem. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with Earl Monroe's story. He finished high school with few scholarship offers, but the one coach that really wanted him was Clarence Big House Gaines, the coach at Winston-Salem State University. At the time, Winston-Salem was an NAIA school, which is at the lower end of college basketball, but it also meant that freshmen could play on the varsity, unlike schools that were part of the NCAA. However, Coach Gaines did not like playing freshmen. The coach figured that freshmen could learn more by watching for a year. But Monroe did get to play a little and always impressed. Monroe only averaged seven points per game in limited minutes. Now, while all this was happening, another thing was going on. North Carolina is in the South and the United States was still a few years away from civil rights legislation, meaning that Jim Crow laws were still in effect in most places in that part of the country. Monroe was warned to be careful when leaving campus and to avoid white parts of town. One night, he was trying to drive to a friend's house in Virginia and noticed a bunch of cars catching up to him in his rearview mirror. Now, they were not paying particularly close attention to Monroe. They just seemed like they were in a big hurry to get somewhere. But before he knew it, Monroe found himself in a Ku Klux Klan procession. All of the people around him were wearing white hoods and hollering out of the windows. Once he realized what was happening, he took the first turn and went in a different direction as fast as a car could take him. He did not care where the road led, as long as it got him away from the KKK. A few cars followed him thinking he was part of their group and that he knew their destination, but they eventually turned back to the main road. They never noticed who the driver was, or else that night could have turned out very differently for Monroe. 
Thankfully, he survived that incident and returned to Winston-Salem for his sophomore year, where now he would get a chance to start in Coach Gaines' pro-style offense. Back in those days, most college teams played a slower offense where the coach called the half-court plays on virtually every possession. While in the NBA, the teams often ran a quicker pace, taking advantage of fast breaks and improvisation. After all, NBA players were the best in the world, so it makes sense to trust them and allow the players to make more of the decisions on the court. In this respect, Coach Gaines was ahead of his time. Clarence Big House Gaines was a head coach at the college level for 46 years, and every one of those years was at Winston-Salem State University. When he took over as head coach, he was only two years removed from being a college player himself at Morgan State University in Baltimore. He was a 23-year-old college head coach, and he was the head coach of the football team in addition to being the head coach of the basketball team. He was also the athletic director. He eventually hired a new football coach after three years so that he could concentrate on just basketball. Coach Gaines is in the Basketball Hall of Fame as a coach. For a while, he was also on the board of trustees of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Monroe had the great fortune to be able to be coached by one of the best of all time. As a sophomore, Monroe averaged 23 points per game in that up-tempo style. He turned a lot of heads with his quickness and entertaining style of play. He was starting to show glimpses of the player that he would become. For his junior year or third year at Winston-Salem, the university switched from NAIA to NCAA Division II. This meant that they would face tougher competition, but this is where Coach Gaines wanted to go. During that year, Monroe averaged 29.9 points per game and led the team all the way to the NCAA Division II tournament. Unfortunately, they did not win. Now, just as he had every summer, he headed back to Philadelphia to be with family and to play in the famous Baker League, which is a summer league similar to the Rucker League held in New York each year. The Baker League brought together some of the best college players, street players, and NBA players around. It was a who's who on the court. In addition to Earl Monroe, who was still in college, the games featured Will Chamberlain, Bill Bradley, Hal Greer, and others. It was here on the street courts and the Baker League courts where Earl Monroe received his first nickname. Black Jesus. Because Monroe's spin move was blindingly quick, people said it looked like he was walking on water, thus the name Black Jesus. In the neighborhoods of Philadelphia, nobody called him Earl the Pearl, even after he was in the NBA. To the locals that were familiar with Monroe's street game, he was always Black Jesus to them. As I mentioned at the top, Earl Monroe had a real street ball credibility. Streetball is quite different from college basketball or NBA basketball. It is much more improvisational. Creativity as well as scoring is what gets you noticed. And defense is not that important. Now that does not mean that players don't play defense. It means that the reputations are earned for a player's offense primarily. Streetball is a totally different basketball universe. Players can become legitimately streetball famous without ever having to play for a college or in the NBA, and Monroe really was one of the first true streetballers to make it in the league. One of the others was Connie Hawkins, or Hawk. Dr. J was another. In the 1990s, you had players like Lloyd Daniels, also known as Sweet Pea on the streets. And then there was Skip to My Lou, or as he is known in the NBA, Rafer Alston. I want to be clear that this is not just regular pickup basketball. This is not a bunch of guys getting in a run for some exercise at LA Fitness. These were serious players in their prime playing with their reputations on the line. 
There are not that many players who can achieve true legendary status in streetball and the NBA, but Monroe did it. He's one of the very first to do so. Once the summer of 1966 was over, it was time for Monroe to play his final year at Winston-Salem. He took his game to a whole new level. He led the entire nation with 41.5 points per game. He led his team all the way to the 1967 NCAA Division II Championship. It would be the only championship of Coach Gaines' career. Monroe had solidified his reputation as one of the best players in all of college basketball, even if he was playing Division II. Now this is where his more popular nickname caught on. A sports writer by the name of Louis Overby from the Winston-Salem Journal wrote about Monroe often. He would refer to Monroe's made baskets as Earl's Pearls, but the fans took that phrase and turned it into a descriptor for Monroe himself. And that is how he became Earl the Pearl, that nickname that he would take with him into the NBA. In addition to winning the Division II championship, he was named a Sporting News All-American alongside Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was still known as Lou Alcindor, Elvin Hayes, Jimmy Walker, and Sonny Dove. The NBA was definitely in Monroe's future. He began to prepare himself for the NBA draft and to find out which team he would be joining. He really had no idea where in the draft order he would be selected, so he was prepared to go anywhere. Now this is a good place to pause and come back and join us next week when we share part two of Earl Monroe's story, primarily his NBA career and retirement. And that's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.